0: you are listening to understanding islam on the voice of islam
1: a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem bismillahir rahmanir rahim كما أرسلنا فيكم رسولا منكم يتلو عليكم آياتنا يتلو عليكم آياتنا ويذكر Kikum, wa you are limokumulkitabal hikma? Why you are limokum alam ta la
0: I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the Accursed. In the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, ever Merciful. We have sent to you a messenger from among yourselves, who recites our signs to you, and purifies you, and teaches you the book and the wisdom, and teaches you that which you knew not. Chapter 2, verse
2: 152. rahmatullahi wa wabarakatuhu. Welcome to Understanding Islam series 7. In this series, we will be covering the Nishanat, which is the signs and help of the promised Messiah from Allah. And we're mentioning these in his own words, taken from the book Malfazat. Today I'm joined by Hanan Ashad, Basarul Aziz and Ikan Ahmed Khan. So welcome all. Last time we talked about the signs of the latter days, according to the Holy Bible, giving out that prophecy and going through that prophecy. Today I want to again go a bit more on this, but this time from the Holy Quran. So although it's still going on about the signs of latter days, as I said, I think this is a very important thing that we need to understand because we're claiming that these are the latter days. And not only are we claiming that these are the latter days, but the Messiah has come, the promised Messiah has come, and he's doing this battle between good and evil. So it's important that we understand, are we really in these days? Because if we're not in the the latter days, then this battle should not be happening. So we're claiming that we're in these days, and this is why I want to continue today and this time talk from the Holy Quran. So, Hanan, can I ask you to read a passage from Malfuzat about this, please?
3: Signs of the Latter Days mentioned in the Holy Qur'an The Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, said It is mentioned in the Holy Qur'an that the disbelievers would say nasma'u <laughs> If we had but listened or possessed sense, we should have not been among the inmates of the blazing fire. Surah Al-Mulk, chapter 67, verse 11 This shows that faith is not sound without thoughtful consideration. All the signs mentioned in Surah Taqwir pertain to the latter days. One of these signs is Wa izzal Isharu Uttilat, Meaning, when she camels would be left abandoned. Chapter 81, verse 5 Meaning, when she camels would be left abandoned. It was in exposition of it that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said kilasu, fala yusha aleha." Then the she-camels will be abandoned and no one will travel upon them, which shows that the promised Messiah would appear in those very days. In fact, these are the signs of the early days of his epoch. Then it said, iz نُفُوسُ zuvijah, Surah Ar-Taqweed, Chapter 81, Verse 8 The translation is And when various people are brought together, meaning that such form of travel would become available, that nations would come together despite being far apart, the new world would establish contacts with the old world, the appearance of Gog and Magog, the advent of the Jal Antichrist, and the dominance of the cross are the signs of that age too. The promised Messiah continued to say, All the means of travel had not opened up in the time of the Holy Prophet. peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. It is written in at taswir Al-Kabir, a commentary on the Holy Quran, that there was places where the message of the Holy Prophet had not reached, whereas now news can reach from this corner of the world to the other, by means of mail, telegrams and trains, constructions of railway line in Hejaz also comes under this prophecy. Many Arabs have started saying that the time for izal isharu uttilat and when the she-camels ten-month-pregnant are abandoned. Surah at takwir chapter 81 verse 5 The word ishar, ten-month-pregnant she-camels, itself indicated that all this would transpire before the Day of Judgment, because it is written about the day that every pregnancy would miscarry, and moreover everything would cease to function. What would be so unique about the she-camel? What it meant was that at present, trade depends on she-camels, but at that time it would be on the railways, since the time frame is mentioned in the Hadith to be that of the Promised Messiah. The Arabs should now look for the promised Messiah. Look, now railways are being built in their homeland and our enemies themselves are working hard on it. This too is a sign that God has pressed our enemies in service for the cause. It is they who are funding it, but it is our truth that will be proven.
2: Okay, thank you, Hanan. Very nicely spoken again. Now, the promised Messiah, may peace be upon him, has said in this passage that all the signs mentioned in surah taqwir pertain to the latter days for instance he quoted when she camels will be left abandoned so chapter 81 verse 5 and he also mentioned that the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him had also said that then the she camels will be abandoned And no one will travel upon them. So one of the signs of the latter days is that the camels will no longer be used to be travelled upon. Now if we think about this, in the time of the holy prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he was living in Arabia, and of course Arabia is a big huge desert. And so camels were vital to the Arabs. So, why? Why do you think camels was vital to the Arabs in those days? Iqan? So, camels
4: were vital in those days because people used to travel from one place to another riding a camel because there was no other way of transport in those days as we have now.
1: So at the time of the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, camels were the main means of transport. and. The thing about camels is that they can store water for a very long time in their belly. And that was the main reason why they used camels Because if you see the geographics of uh, Saudi Arabia, it's mainly vastly a desert area. And no other animal except a camel can survive for that long in that area without water. So that's why
2: they used camels mainly for transport. Okay, thank you for that the and basil so yes the camel is a very useful animal that was used in those days in arabia of course it wasn't saudi arabia in those days it was arabia but still it was a huge desert and so yes there were other animals horses and things like that but as you said for camel the speciality for camel was that it could move easily on sand and it could store water very easily the fact is that they were always looked upon and is still looked upon in a way that are very useful animals for the desert. The fur is very thick and so it protects them from the heat. Of course, you've got to bear in mind, Arabia is a very hot country and so it protects them from that heat. And then they had this fat hump which serves as food storage. Now Of course, you get two types of camels. There's one with one hump and there's one with two humps. I don't know if any of you have been on a camel before. You're all shaking your head, but can't you have? Okay. So I remember when I went on a camel, it was very funny that uh, it gets up on one foot. And so your body swings to one side, got up on the other foot, and you swung to the other side. It was strange. You thought you was going to fall off the camel. And another thing about the camels, even though it is very hot country, they very rarely sweat. And as you said, Basil, that they can go weeks. Without water. Ikan, you got something else you want to add about the camels?
4: So camels, because of thermoregulation, because of the fat they have stored in their hump, they are very easily adaptable to harsh weather such as cold or even hot days. And because of that, no other animal that I can think of at the top of my head can, can do that. And another thing would be their feet because they don't sink in the sand. And considering Arabia was a desert, so using any other animal would be really difficult
2: if you're moving from one place to another. Okay, we seem to be having an expert on camels, that's good. (laughs) Right, for the Arabs, they needed the camels for going on very long journeys in the sand. And these journeys, of course, would take weeks. They would go to far-off countries like Syria, Yemen and things like this. And so they needed to go to those countries to buy goods and then transport them back to their cities. So in this way, there was many camels which would go together, which would be called a caravan. Of course we call caravans a little bit different these days. But generally a caravan is a string of camels, one behind another, and they would be taking all the goods and then coming back to Mecca or whichever town and then selling those goods, especially at pilgrimage and things like this. Bearing that in mind, now we're talking about the time of the Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Now for the Arabs of that time to learn from the Holy Prophet that camels would be abandoned and that some other form of travel would take its place must have been unthinkable for them. I mean, obviously, they couldn't think what, what else is going to go across the sand. This is all that they knew. And so, therefore, they would have continued for a long time afterwards puzzling over this verse of the Holy Quran. What does it mean that the camels are going to be abandoned? So, as I said, this was a great puzzle for them. But what happened? Railways came along. When? When did the railway first come along? Does any of you know when the first railway was made? It can't?
4: Yes, it was in 1825, and the first railway, it was from Darlington to Stockton.
2: Yes, well done. So not only knowledge about camels, but also about railways. So railways were first built in the early 1800s, like you just said, in the UK. And in fact, railways changed the landscape physically and culturally, putting Britain at the forefront of railway technology. And architecture in the 19th century. Until the railways, most people rarely traveled further than the next market town, perhaps maybe 10 miles away. But stations became gateways to journeys over hundreds of miles, and they could complete this in a few hours in these futuristic machines. Now, actually it was in 1804 when the first crude early Wales started at an ironworks in Wales. So they had to transport the coal and other things, the iron and things like this, in Wales. But like you say, you're correct, that in 1825 was the opening of the Stockton and Darlington line, which of course were very close to it. This is where we live in this area. And so this was the very first main line and in the world saw a proper steam locomotive haul wagons for the very first time that locomotive was george stevenson's locomotion which reached speeds great speeds of 15 miles per hour (laughs) but that was great for those days on this opening day but unfortunately stevenson's engines proved so unreliable that horses were the mainstay for the first few years. Now the first major railway line was between Liverpool and Manchester in 1813. Originally it was conceived as a freight railway to reduce the cost and time of transporting goods, but the line proved equally popular among travellers. But of course this was still unthinkable for the Arabs. How could a heavy machine like a railway replace their beloved camels? So the first railway track in Arabia, any ideas when that was? How's the expert Khan? do you know? No, you don't know? Anybody? So the first railway track in Arabia was in 1908, the same year that the poor Messiah, may peace be upon him, passed away. And that was from Damascus to Medina. The Hijaz Railway was built to bring the Ottoman Empire closer together.
0: You are listening to Understanding Islam on the Voice of Islam, where we are covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him.
2: Again, let's go back to the passage that Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmad, may peace be upon him, has said. And when various people are brought together, chapter 81, verse 8, meaning that such form of travel would become available that nations would come together despite being far apart. So we see that one of the officials of the Ottoman Empire, Haji Mukhtar Bey, travelled from Damascus to Mecca while on his Hajj to trace a path for the planned railway tracks. German engineers were engaged for the design and execution of the railway line. And in 1900, a campaign was started to raise public funding for the railway. By 1908, the line was laid between Damascus and Medina. It reduced the pilgrimage time between those two cities from 45 days to just five days. So, this now was the first railway that was in Arabia. The promised Messiah, may peace be upon him, continues in the passage that the appearance of Gog and Magog and the advent of the Dajjal, the Antichrist, and the dominance of the cross are the signs of that age, too. Now, we talked about this in the previous program. So, why? Why do you think they're connected to railways? Any ideas why you think? That railways is being connected with the, the Jal, Gog and Magog, dominance of the cross. Basil.
1: If you look at the words Gog and Magog, which are Yajuj and Majuj in Arabic, the word which are, uh, both of these words are derived from are Ajij, which literally means fire. So if you look at the modes of transport, they mainly run on fire. Which is fuel. So that's the connection between the Jal, Gog, and Magog, and, and the new modes
2: of transport, in my opinion. Okay, we've got experts of Arabic now. That's very good. Very good point. Okay, but obviously, with the promised Messiah, he was linking railways with Gog and Magog and the Jal. And the reason mainly was that what was the railways bringing to Arabia, to India, and so on and so forth. So, first we have to look at the reasons of why building railways in other countries was to benefit the West. So, any ideas how it benefited the West building these railways? Okay, Hanan?
3: So, the building of the railways in the West made it easy for different countries to transport their Resources and materials in different countries without waiting days and weeks and months for them to reach one place of the country to the other, and hence it made it easier for them to transport.
2: Okay, very good. I always remember an African friend of mine who said that people came to his country and waved the Bible in one hand, and while everybody's looking at the Bible, they took with the other hand. So <laughs> That was one way of putting it, but generally when these empires, the French, Spanish, the UK of course, came to these countries, the main purpose was to take their resources. So how, how are they going to get those resources back to England and so benefit from them? So we know if we look for instance in India, that the British came to India in 1858 and controlled it until The partition in 1947 now when they first came to india as traders they were the east indian company now if you watch pirates of the caribbean and things like that then you might have heard about the east indian company that they were the pirates were against them and they were taking all these ships and so and so forth now gradually they started setting up more and more trading centers But we have to understand that every move taken by the British government was for their own benefit, for their own good. Yes, no doubt. They benefited the countries they were in, but the real purpose was for themselves. And so when they introduced the railways in India, for instance, then this was something incredible for India, no doubt, to to help move people around and so on and so forth. But the real benefit was actually for the british that they could move a their troops and things like this around and also they could take the goods that they were taking from those countries and bring them back to the uk but the british were struggling with this transportation problems and so they came up with the idea of the introduction of railways and they felt that after the introduction of the railway transportation of raw materials then that would be much faster to move around. And so also, again, it would benefit the country, it would bring economic development to that particular country. So both were gaining as such by this. But the main reason, obviously, it was as we were saying in the last thing, materialism, trying to get the goods and benefiting from those goods. Not just in India, I'm just using that example, but all over, this is why they started developing and building the railways. Now, with these railways, like I say, they helped the British in travel. They helped to move these goods from one place to another much more easier. But they also helped the Christian missionaries. The Christian missionaries came to India, came to Africa and so on and so forth to convert the people to Christianity. And the promised, Messiah, may peace be upon him, has explained that this, this is the real Dijal. Now what's he mean by this, that the Christian missionaries are the real Dijjall? Any ideas? Hanan? The Prince Messiah, peace be upon him,
3: stating that this was the Jal, meaning that the Christianity was here to show dominance of the cross, to show that Jesus is the way forward. And this was what the Prince Messiah stated that would happen.
2: Yes, these Christian missionaries were going Preaching about Christianity, as we said, the jao is also meaning antichrist. Antichrist means anti God. So they're bringing their understanding of Jesus being the, the God or Son of God to what they considered was heathens, whether they are Muslims, whether they were Hindus, Buddhists, or whoever. And so there was a great conversion because people were impressed by the British and the message that they were giving people like that. So this is what the Palm Messiah related to being the Dijjal. And obviously the Dijjal, the Christian missionaries, needed a means to spread, to move around quickly. Now when we go to prophecy about the Dajjal, it talks about the donkey of the Dijjal. Does any of you know about this prophecy about the donkey of the Dajjal? Okay, Hanan?
3: So the Hadith stating about the donkey was stating how one leg of the donkey would be in the east and the other in the west. So that was just a metaphoric saying of how transport from east to the west would be through railways and train and transport like that to show how quick it would be to transport these goods and materials and to deliver messages.
1: And another aspect of it is that I don't remember the exact word of the hadith but it mentions that people would sit inside the belly of that donkey and there will be fire inside that belly but it won't touch the passengers. If you just focus on the wordings and just ponder over these words you won't find any other conclusion than that the fuel compartment is different and the passengers compartment would be different in the in the trains so that's the metaphorical way of
2: putting it okay very good so the djjal he's meant to have this donkey that he travels around in and you can get the size of this djjal that as hananyu said that he was so big the donkey was so big that he is riding on so he's much bigger than donkey obviously but a donkey is so big that one foot would be in one country and the other foot would be in another country. And that this donkey, as you said Basil, would have fire in his belly, and people would be inside it. So people would be inside this fire. And also they had one eye, and another thing was that he would smoke, which would be going out before it, and coming after it. So what does it all mean? Now, if we go back and think about we're in the time of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Let's say he saw a vision of a steam train. Okay, now, of course, no one knew what a steam train was. We're talking about 600 AD. He saw a vision of a steam train. And he wanted to explain to the Arabs about this vision. So what would he say? How would he describe a steam train? So any of you want to try, picture a steam train? How would you describe that to people who've never, ever seen a steam train in their life? Anybody want to have a go? No one wants to have a go. Okay. <laughs> so, let's say now he's trying to explain to the Arabs. So first of all, he wants to say something which is transporting people. In Arabia in those days, we've been talking about a camel, but also a donkey is a means of getting around. The Holy Prophet himself often used a donkey to travel around. So he's saying a donkey, they can picture a donkey. If you say a train, they would have no idea what you're talking about. So he's got to put words which they understand. So he says a donkey. So people think, okay, a donkey that moves people around. This donkey was so big that he had one foot in one country and another foot in another country. Again, they wouldn't understand the railway lines. So, you said, Hanan, that you've got these railway lines which come from one country to another country. So, he's saying that one foot is in one country and somehow that is also going to another country where both his feet are there. So, a donkey, obviously, he's got four feet. So, again, you can picture how big, supposedly, this donkey was going to be. Then, this belly. Of fire, and you described it as the engine, which is true, but of course, the people are in this fire as well, which you said didn't touch them. We know now that lights, there was no such thing as lights in those sort of days, that in the carriages, they had, later on, of course, they had electricity, but in those days, they had lights. And so if you look at it outside, what do you see? You see this light around and people inside the light. So again, you write the fire, of course, the, the engine has that fire. But also the carriages would have lights and the people will be seen inside that light. So again, the Holy Prophet is saying that in his belly, there is this fire. So this is one way of understanding the fire, that it's actually the lights. Now he had one eye. And what do we mean by one eye? So, again, the steam engines and the early transport, they often had a light in front. Any ideas why? Anan?
3: They had a light in front for easy transport throughout the night.
2: Easy transport, but I mean, the main thing is they want to make sure that there's no one standing on no rails. <laughs> so, they want to see it ahead. And likewise, people can see the lights. So they know the train is coming. So in the early days of the steam engine, this was a very common feature to have a light at the front. One eye. So if you can imagine it, that there's one eye. Even these days, if you see an airplane, you see, and it's kind of under a carriage, it normally has a light. So again, indicating that there's an airplane in the sky. Now, again, talking about the steam trains, you mentioned about the fire in the engine, and when you've got fire, what do you get? Smoke. Smoke, of course. So smoke comes up, and it will go in front, but because the movement of the train, it then comes behind as such. So smoke goes before it, and smoke comes after it. So again, you've got to mention these steam trains. These days, of course, they don't have chimneys, but in those days, they had the fire. They had the and the logs that they put in and that had to the smoke had to go somewhere so it would come out of the chimney. And so often if you see I mean there's still some steam anybody been on a steam engine? Yeah. Even in India they still these days have steam engines. So a few of you have been so you've seen the smoke coming out of the steam engine. So, so you you've got a picture the Holy Prophet is trying to explain this vision of a steam engine. And how is he going to explain to Arabs who've never seen it? So our understanding is that this donkey of the Dijal is in fact a steam train. Now, why again a steam train has been shown in the vision? Because as we said that the steam trains were a mode of transport that the Christian missionaries used to use to move around, to spread their beliefs and to run after the material things. So this is why we associate, and the Paul has been associating that this is the donkey that's been mentioned. If it was really a Dijal, as a lot of Muslims believe, that there's going to be this one-eyed, huge giant, I mean, where is he? I mean, you can imagine one foot in one country, another foot in another country. How big is this person? You should be able to see it. No, No building that we've got at present will be that size. It'd be far beyond that building. And obviously it'd be easy to see. We're not seeing it. So we understand this, that it's not literally a person, but that it's describing this anti-God and the Jal, That is this movement away from God.
0: You are listening to Understanding Islam on The Voice of Islam where we are covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah. Peace be
2: upon him. So, going back to the passage then, Hazat Ghulam Glamamad, may peace be upon him, continues to say that what should be so unique about the she-camels? What it meant was that at present, trade depends on the she-camels. But at that time, the latter days, it would be on the railways. Since the same time frame is mentioned in the Hadith to be that of the promised messiah, so the promised messiah says that the Arabs should now be looking for the promised messiah. So if they're seeing now in Arabia that the camels have been abandoned, and instead there's these railways, it should then occur to them that this is what the Holy Qur'an has been talking about. And if that's the latter days, as we said, then where's the promised messiah? So this is what the promised messiah is saying that they should now realize this, that this is the time of the promised Messiah. Now, in Arabia these days, and many other Muslim countries, the use of trains, roads, etc., are now the norm, whereas the camel has actually been abandoned. I don't know if you've been to Arabia. Everybody's shaking their heads. But anyway, if you think of India, or Pakistan, now they're making motorways and things like that and although you've got some other animals which you do use to move around generally most people are using modern day transport to get from one city to another city so hasam as a continues to say that this too is a sign that god has pressed our enemies in service for the cause it is they who are funding it but it is our truth that will be proven. Now what does he mean by this? Any ideas what he means by this? That it's pressed our enemies into service for the cause. It's our enemies who are funding it. But we will use it to prove the truth. So any ideas? can?
4: So I believe that means that it is the people that are funding it. And making the trains and the transport. But we as Amadees, we would be taking a lot of advantage from it. There was a prophecy of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, that I will spread thy message to the corners of the earth. And by using that transport, it is way easier
2: for us to move from one place to another. Very good. So, as we said, that is the Germans, for instance, who built the railroads, the British who wanted to establish the railroads, So these are the enemies as such. They're creating it for their purposes. But as you correctly said, we now can benefit from that. And as a prophecy, you said that Islam will spread its message to the four corners of the world. We can do that now through this modern technology, through the modern ships, planes, the trains, and so on and so forth. So we're now using this modern technology, which our enemies, have made for their purpose, to get resources to move around and so on and so forth, but we're benefiting it and we've got now members in every country of the world. Okay, so that finishes that passage, but he has mentioned about this surah, and in this surah there are other prophecies relating to the latter days. So let's go through a few more of those verses. So Hanan, can you read the next verse,
3: please? And when the wild beasts are gathered together, Surah Al-Takwir, chapter eighty-one, verse six.
2: Okay, so what does this mean that the wild beasts will be gathered together? This again is a sign of the latter days. So any ideas what it means, Basil? I think it's referring to the zoos we have today, where all the huge animals are gathered. Yes, in fact, this is what we understand. It is the zoos. Now, of course, people have been gathering animals from the very beginning. All the people from all different countries, ancient Egypt, the Roman Empire, the Egyptians and so on and so forth. But there's one thing gathering the wild beasts together. But what's so special about it, why has it been mentioned in the Holy Quran, is, like you say, that now the public can go and see many, many animals together. And so the creation of the zoos. And so this is a different thing. So yes, some empires may have brought a few animals together for their own liking and so on and so forth. But the public didn't have access to it. That happened in these days. In fact, the very first zoo, any ideas, roughly guess when the first zoo was opened? Want to take a guess, anybody?
1: In
3: the mid-1950s.
2: Okay. The first zoo was 1752 in Vienna and in 1793 in Paris. So, this was when they started making zoos, and of course, they're still ongoing to this day, although they're not so popular now. I don't know why, but they seem to have lost a bit of their popularity. But I'm sure you've all been to zoos. What it shows is in the time again of the latter days, the zoos, the wild beasts were coming together, and people, everyone can come and see those wild beasts. So, this again we say is relating to these days, the latter days. Okay, so Hanan, can you read the next verse, please?
3: And when the rivers are drained away.
2: This again is a sign of the latter days. Any ideas what this means? Hanan?
3: So the meaning of the rivers being drained away is just another way of saying that the seas will be used for other purposes such as sea fights, or very large ships to set on journeys, and other public transport.
2: Okay, that's true, but that also happened in the time of the Holy Prophet, and it's been happening, obviously, sea fights have been going on, ongoing for a long, long time, so anything special about the latter days can you think of? Okay, so let's go to another verse of the Holy Quran, and this might help you. So Hanan, can you read this verse please?
3: He has made the two bodies of water flow, they will one day meet Between them there is at present a barrier, they cannot encroach it one upon the other Surah al rahman chapter 55 verses 20 and 21
2: Okay, has that helped? Any ideas now what it's referring to? Basil? I think it's the it's a
1: meeting of two seas, probably the Mediterranean and the Red Sea.
2: Right, so in this day and age, first of all going back to the rivers, we often see that land is reclaimed. Even in England, there's the, the dams which is made, but also they reclaim the land and we see around Norwich, and even here in Harlepool, they've reclaimed a lot of the, the land, so now where some of these shops are, that used to be at one time underwater. If you go to Holland, for instance, they've reclaimed a lot of land. So this is one way. In this particular verse that you've been mentioned about the two seas, then of course there was the Palomar Canal and the Suez Canal. So you mentioned about the, the Red Sea, and Mediterranean. So, of course, the Mediterranean is connected to an ocean and the Red Sea comes into the Indian Ocean as well. But the Suez Canal was enabled to come from one ocean, if you like, to another ocean. Again, with the Panama, it united the Pacific Ocean with the Atlantic Ocean. Now, the Suez Canal, that was started in 1858 and eventually it was opened. In 1869, so before the Palmisade, but still in the latter days, as we're saying. And the Panama Canal, that was opened in 1914. Although they did start earlier, Great Britain tried in 1843, and then a bit later on they tried again, but they failed. But it was finally achieved in 1914. So this was a unique thing where it brought two oceans together. Now, another interesting thing about this is a few verses on. Right, I think uh, let's ask this time, Basil, can you read the epic of this
1: verse? There comes out from both of them pearls and corals. Chapter 55,
2: verse 23. Okay, so it's a strange thing that they've discovered that both these canals, out of them both, there is pearls and coals. Now again, the Holy Prophet never travelled on a boat in his life. And yet, you know, again, this shows that it's from Allah, that not only is it talking about the Suez canals, which was much, much later on, but even this fact that there will be pearls and coals coming from both. So I think that's quite a unique thing. Okay, so again, let's go back to chapter 81. And another prophecy about the latter days is being mentioned. So again, Basil, can you please read that particular verse? And
1: when books are spread abroad. Chapter 81, verse 11.
2: Okay, so when books are spread abroad. Again, we've got to think about the latter days. Obviously, books has always been there. But what is this referring to? Any ideas what this is referring to? Okay, let's go first to you, Akan.
4: So, I believe this can refer to the Promised Messiah, Peace be upon him. He wrote over 80 books. And a lot of them books, they are translated into many different languages. For example, French, German. Yeah, even Chinese. And this is how his message is being spread in different countries and people are able to read his writings and understand what the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, said and what he was referring to at that time.
2: Very good. And Hanan?
3: So going back to what I just said, so yes, the Promised Messiah did write loads of books and these books were a way of spreading the message of his mission and of his message to various amount of people across the world and of course we can look at other ways of how news is spreading through newspapers journals etc about day to day activities that are taking place in the current world etc and how news is being spread vast majority across the world and how we are all getting updated on what is actually happening such
1: as wars conflicts you know political side of things etc very good. And Basil? I wanted to raise the same point Hanan made, but I wanted to also mention the printing press. A book is printed in one country, and it is printed in such quantity that you can even find that book in another country after it's spread all over the world.
2: So I think that's also an important point to mention here. Good. I'm liking all these points. And Ikaan, you want to also add another point? In this day and age, since the past few years and even a
4: decade, audiobooks have been a very good way of people reading many books. When they are travelling, they would just listen to a book or when they are driving. And the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, his books have been translated into many different languages and have been recorded into audiobooks as well. Which people can listen to when they are driving or walking to school or college or university or even when they are traveling on the trains. And these books are also available on Spotify.
0: You are listening to Understanding Islam on the Voice of Islam, where we are covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him.
2: Yes, so very good. This all, as you've been saying, shows how the books are spread abroad. We mentioned about the Paul Messiah books but of course one of the things we should also think about is the Holy Qur'an. That the Muslims refused to translate the Holy Qur'an and there were a few translations with the English writers but Muslims wouldn't accept those. At a time the Paul Messiah, maybe in Persian I'm not sure, but generally it was not translated. But this is again one of the things which the Paul Messiah felt the need of. That everyone should be able to read the Holy Quran. And so our community has embarked on translating the Holy Quran in over 100 different languages. At present it's about 76, maybe a bit more. In the selected verses it has reached 100 translations. Now again modern technology, as you said, and we talked about it last time, is of course the internet. And this is another way in which the news and books can be spread up far and wide. And of course, one of the things, as you were saying, Ikan, is that nowadays they've got earbuds. So they can actually be listening while they're walking. That couldn't have happened in the time of the poor Messiah or anything like that. It's again, it's all showing how books are readily available throughout the world. And even though these days, maybe people don't read them, Books as much, but there's alternatives which they can read, and especially online and Spotify, as you say, and many other ways in which they can listen to the books or read the books. Okay, good. So now let's turn to one final verse from Surah Al Taqweer, verse number 12. So, Basil, can I ask you to recite this verse?
1: وَإِذَ السَّمَاعُ كُشِيْتَتَ And when the heaven is laid bare. Al-Takweer, chapter 81, verse 12.
2: Okay, now, what does this mean? When the heavens are laid bare. So, Ikan, what do you think this means? During the time of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him,
4: people didn't know much about the sun and the moon and the Galaxy. And in 1969, we had the first visit on the moon, which was done by Neil Armstrong. And there's been way too many scientific inventions. And one of the biggest ones that I would like to mention would be the Hubble telescope, that not only tells us about the close planets, but it also tells us about the planets, the asteroids, and about in our galaxy, which lies way too far, which cannot be seen by the naked eye. So even now, there's way too many things that can be discovered. For example, scientists are developing a way on how they can know more about Mars and make a landing over there. And in science, we're still looking and trying to know more about our galaxy and the others. Redshift, which is a scientific theory that has taught us a lot of things about the galaxy that we didn't know before. Redshift, it tells us about the expansion of the universe. And how universe keeps on expanding, and the further away universe is to ours, it expands faster. So this is the Hubble law, which says that the galaxies that are further away from us expand at a faster rate than the ones that are closer to
2: us. Okay, thank you for that. And Basil, you want to add to this? I think uh, this was uh, mentions about the
1: discoveries that are happening in the space, in today's age. And if we go back 1400 years, no one could have imagined that we would be making these discoveries today. I think it's a great prophecy mentioned in the Holy Quran that the heaven is laid bare, which means that you can literally see everything today. Just picking up your phone and using your internet and googling it, googling photos of the space, and you could literally see the photos of other planets. And I think it's a beautiful
2: prophecy mentioned by the Holy Quran. Okay, that's a nice point. Uh, I hadn't thought about that particular one. But yes, I mean, if we go back to the time of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And of course, the Arabs were very strong in astronomy. They needed it because they were in a desert. They needed the stars to guide them how to find a way around the desert. So this was very important. And then, of course, the knowledge in the Holy Quran, the Arabs were able to understand much more. They in fact told Columbus that go ahead, go to America, you're not going to fall off the edge because the world at that time believed that the earth was square. But using the knowledge of the Holy Quran and what the Holy Quran was saying about the space, so they knew that the world was round. And so they encouraged that to happen. But of course, we're talking about the latter days, these days. And As you said, the landing on the moon, for instance, means that man has now been able to actually reach further into these planets, not just see them from the land, but actually go there and be on that particular, in this case, satellite, the moon. And with the Hubble telescope, now, like you say, they can see far beyond many, many galaxies and how it works and how the black holes work and so on and so forth. And this I like what you said, Basil, that these days, of course, we can see this on our phones and on the internet, seeing how the galaxy is moving and so and so forth. So it has laid the space bare. Now, although we can't see the end of the universe, and as you said, it's still expanding, but it's beyond our knowledge at this stage, but we have a much better understanding of the galaxies, not only our own galaxy, but other galaxies and so and so forth. So now, with the discovery of the telescope, we have been able to see well beyond what our eye could see. So that is something which the Holy Quran, again, like you said, has mentioned, that is now laid the heavens bare. So now we are far more aware of these sort of things. And this is something which we should always be appreciative, which we don't really take for granted. We take this knowledge as it is a set thing. But of course, when we think about the time of the Holy Prophet, even though they used to study the stars all the time, they would never have been able to go beyond what their eyes could see. So this is a remarkable thing which the Holy Quran has also illustrated. Now, as we said, these verses in this particular chapter, we've concentrated only on one chapter of the Holy Quran, but these verses are all relating to these days, the latter days. So what do you think? Do you think this shows that this is the latter days that we are claiming is, Or do you think that... It doesn't show that it's the latter days. Okay, Ikaan, what do you think?
4: So, not only just one, but there is many verses from the Holy Quran which talks about signs of the latter days. For example, she-camels being abandoned, the rivers being drained away, the books being spread abroad, and knowing about the space that we know now. So, as there is not only just one, but way too many verses that explains about the latter days.
2: So yes, I believe that at the moment we are in the latter days okay thank you for that and basil i mean we're saying that the holy quran is a book from allah that all this knowledge is beyond man and here we've gone through some prophecies which we believe has been fulfilled so what do you think do you think that this is from a powerful god or could man have guessed this and made these things up I mean, out of all the prophecies that we covered of the Holy Quran,
1: there is not a single one that has not been fulfilled. And one would be in absolute denial if he says that, oh, there is yet the abandoning of she camel to happen. And I think every single prophecy has been fulfilled. And if you look back 1400 years ago, again, everything that that was written in the Holy Quran, no one could have ever imagined that these things would happen literally in the latter days. So I think these are absolutely fulfilled.
2: Okay, so these are some of the things. There are many things relating to the latter days found in the Holy Quran. But just to give you some idea, we've gone through some of these things. And I hope that this has helped you and the audience to understand that we are now in the latter days. So I'd like to thank you all for your help in this. And I hope the viewers has enjoyed listening to what we've been saying. And I would like to finish by saying May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you.
4: Thank you so much for having us and it was really interesting.
1: Thank you so much everyone and it was a very informative evening for me. Thank you so much.
3: Jazakal everyone. So yes, it has been a very interesting session today. I've learned quite a lot especially a lot of the prophecies that were mentioned in the Quran.
0: You have been listening to Understanding Islam on The Voice of Islam, and today we have been covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him.